Hey everyone, my name is Adam and welcome to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. At the end of today's episode, please take a minute and download our free Chestnut Ridge app. It has all our recent message content and more. You can also head to theridge.church to get information on service times and get info on everything going on here at the Ridge. We hope this podcast will encourage and inspire you as you continue to grow in your relationship with God and others. Good morning, y'all. Man, it's been really great to worship with you this morning, all of you that are in the room and everyone also that's at home watching with us. Uh, We're so grateful to be able to do that each Sunday. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Andrew. Uh, Most people call me Arch, you're welcome to do either. I'm the Ridge Students Director here at the church and I'm also getting the opportunity to oversee the college ministry as well, which I'm super excited about. It's been fun so far. To start this morning, I wanna rewind back to uh, the beginning of my junior year of high school. At this point in my life, I had already placed my faith in Jesus as my savior, um, and I'd been trying to foster a relationship with him for about a year. And so I'd been doing this, but something else that I was doing as well, uh, that kind of fall, was playing football. I was on the football team down at Bridgeport High School, a lot of you probably know it, Um, and uh, not only that, but I got the opportunity to be the starting free safety um, that year, and this was something that I had worked my whole life for. You know what I mean? Like, I remember being a little kid, being in elementary and middle school, and looking up to the high school guys as like, man, those are the dudes. Like, I want to be that one day, and I'm finally getting that opportunity, and it was a really big deal to me. And not just that, but like those of y'all that from small towns, you know, you know, like high school football in small towns are like a match made in heaven, right? Like you go to any stadium on a Friday night this fall in a small town, it's like at least half the town is going to be there cheering on their team and probably the other town as well traveled in. You know, it's a big deal in small towns, the high school football team. And so for me, as I'm getting to be the starting safety, I'm unfortunately getting a little bit of a big head. I'm starting to kind of like feel it, you know, a little bit of myself and kind of think really highly of myself. And in that, I think I began to think more of myself and less of God. I began to kind of like turn away from the way in which God would have me live and kind of turn to the way that I wanted to live. Well, two days before the first game, um, the bell rings, I'm leaving class, I'm walking over to the field house and I get a text. I look down and it's from kind of my mentor at the time. And it says, he must increase, but I must decrease, John 3.30. And I'm like, yeah, cool, man. I've read the book of John before, I appreciate it. And I just kind of don't think about it and I keep going on with my day. So we get to practice and it's Wednesday, it's special teams day and I was also one of the kick returners. And so we're practicing and uh, we're doing kick return and I, I catch a return, right? And it's a return left, so I'm running this way. We're going left and uh, trying to look for a gap, see how I can score over here. And out of the corner of my eye, the last second, I see someone kind of running up right on, right on me. And so I try to throw out a stiff arm, but I only get my arm out like this. And his helmet makes like kind of perfect contact with my forearm. Really hurt, but I was like, man, we got a game in two days. We got to push through this. You know, and then I'm sitting there and I'm playing and I'm running and it's starting to throb every time I move. I'm starting to like get teary eyed. One of my best friends looks over and he's like, hey man, you gotta grow up. Like you gotta suck that thing up, man. We got a game in two days. We gotta get ready. Like, let's be serious. And then I'm, so I'm like, yeah, you're right. Let's push through, let's push through, let's push through. And then one of my coaches eventually looks at me and he's like, dude, you're not even playing right now. Like you can barely move. Like your arm is clearly hurting. You're clearly hurt. 
go to the trainer, get this figured out so you can play. All right, I'll go to the trainer. She sends me to MedExpress. And at MedExpress, they take an x-ray and my ulna, the kind of outside bone on your forearm, was broken completely in half. I was out for this season. This was heartbreaking for me, right? This thing that I had worked so, so hard for, this thing that I had looked forward to, this thing that in some ways I was placing all of my identity in was kind of now taken from me just like that. So that night I had some time, because I wasn't practicing anymore, to think about that day, think about that situation and think about my life. And as I'm doing that, I'm thinking about like, man, I I feel like I really have kind of turned away from God. I feel like I've been making my life all about myself and how I can build myself up, not how I can bring glory to you, Lord, not how I can focus on you and focus on others. So it's really cool because I began to think again about that text message, right? God must increase, but I must decrease. And I was living that totally backwards. I was trying to increase myself as much as possible and God was decreasing in my life. So it was kind of really cool how God used that moment And I look back on it kind of gratefully now, he used that moment to turn me back to him. He used that moment to, you know, like I don't know where I would have been if I kept going down that road of of living for myself and not living for God. He used that moment to bring me back to a place where I would finally turn back to him. I think this is something that a lot of us do. I think that when things are going well, when we're having success, when things are good, when everything is kind of calm, our tendency is to begin to drift away from God, to begin to decrease, to begin to make our lives about ourselves, to think that we don't need him anymore, just like I did. I think the problem is that we tend to turn to God only when things get bad. I mean, when things are good, it's like, man, everything's cool right now, like we're managing. It's like, we don't need help, you know? So it's kind of like logical in a sense to, to do that and to drift away and it takes something bad, like having a season ending injury to bring us back to God. You know, think about it like this, right? Like life is kind of like mountains and valleys, right? We have big, these mountaintop experiences and when everything's going well, and then we've got these moments and valleys where we realize we need help. And I think that's what happens. We get on these mountaintops and everything's good and it's easy to forget God until we come into a valley and we realize that we've needed him all along. This shouldn't surprise us though, like our friend Jonah, I think is the same way. So we're continuing our series in Jonah, the Old Testament book this morning, and uh, we're gonna be looking at Jonah chapter two. But before we hop into chapter two, I wanna give just a recap of chapter one um, for those of you that maybe weren't here last week. So in chapter one, Pastor Tim shared with us you know, that we believe that Jonah's a real guy, that he was a prophet during the reign of King Jeroboam II, so about 793 BC to 753 BC, about 40 years. And there's actually a really cool passage in 2 Kings 14, 25 that references one of Jonah's prophecies that actually came true. It says this. It says that he, King Jeroboam II, restored Israel's border from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel had spoken through his servant, the prophet Jonah, son of Amittai, from Gath Hefer. So we have this really cool account outside of the book of Jonah that's pointing to him as a real person, a prophet of God who is speaking prophecies and this one even came true. And so we also have accounts in the New Testament of Jesus pointing back to Jonah, pointing back to him as a historical figure. So now we're in Jonah one and and we see God ask Jonah to go to Nineveh, right? And Nineveh was a part of the Assyrian empire. 
They were enemies of Israel. They were enemies of God. And morally, I mean, they had no morals. Like some of the things they did were just heinous. They were despicable. And so God sends Jonah. He says, hey, man, you need to go to Nineveh. I want them to repent. I want them to turn back to me. However, Jonah wanted no part in that mission. So what does Jonah do? When what God wants and what Jonah wants don't align, he tries to outrun God. Pretty silly, I think. So he goes, right, Nineveh's 500 miles east. He says, I'm going 2,500 miles west to Tarshish. He gets on this boat with these sailors and they're headed to Tarshish. And as they're on their way there, God creates this huge storm and they're trying to figure out, man, what's the deal with this storm? And eventually they decide to cast lots. Like think about like drawing the shortest straw, right? So they decide to cast lots and God causes the lot to fall on Jonah, meaning he drew the shortest straw. And so they start asking him, they're like, hey man, what's your deal, bro? Why is this happening? Like we believe that God has pointed to you as the reason this is all going down. And here's what he says. He says, I am a Hebrew. I worship Yahweh, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. And then he goes on to tell them how he's been fleeing that God's presence. I mean, think about it from their perspective, like you're in the sea on your boat, crazy storm, everything's going nuts. And this guy is saying that his God made the sea and he's running from the God on the sea on their boat. I mean, like these guys become terrified naturally, right? They become totally terrified, but Jonah provides a solution. He says, go ahead, you just throw me overboard and all the problems will go away. And at first glance, I feel like it seems kind of noble, right? It seems like, man, Jonah's trying to give himself up for these people. But I think if we take a second look and we think about who Jonah is, we think about his character, we think about his track record, what's he been doing this whole time? Running from God, right? I think this is just the last step in running from God. I think that he thinks if I get thrown overboard, I certainly don't have to go to Nineveh and I don't wanna do that. The sailors decide eventually to throw him over and there's this really cool moment, the, sea, you know, the storm stops and the sailors, they begin to sacrifice and make vows to Yahweh, which is really, really cool and so they're doing well. But how's our friend Jonah doing? Jonah's sinking and he's sinking and he's looking up and the light starts to fade and he can't see the surface anymore and he's losing hope probably thinks it's over. But God isn't done with him yet. God is not done with him yet. He had a plan for Jonah, right? And God appoints this big old fish to swallow Jonah, which again, from Jonah's perspective, the situation did not get better, right? You're sinking in the ocean and now you're swallowed by a fish. Certain death just got even more certain. But God appoints this fish to swallow him, to save him. And then he spends three days and three nights in the belly of this fish. Three days and three nights, does that sound familiar? Right, a couple weeks ago at Easter, we talked about Jesus, right? Who died for us and then was in the tomb, buried for three days and three nights, but rose again. He conquered the grave, proving in who he was, saying that the paycheck cleared for the debt of our sin. And it's really cool, there's this time where these religious guys are like, Jesus, if you're really God, if you really you know, are who you say you are, give us a sign, prove it. And Jesus says, the only sign that you need is the sign of Jonah, who was in the belly of a fish, an underwater tomb for three days and three nights with certain death, but comes out alive. It's really cool how God uses this story to point to what Jesus is gonna do. 
Back to Jonah though. So in Jonah 2, uh, I'm gonna read through the whole chapter once. It's really short. It's only 10 verses. Um, and then we're gonna go back through and talk through some of it a little bit. But as I'm reading it, um, I want you to think about three questions. What do we learn about Jonah? What do we learn about God? And what do we learn about ourselves? So have these three questions in mind as we're going through this chapter today. All right, verse one. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. I called to the Lord in my distress and he answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol. You heard my voice. You threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas and the current overcame me. All your breakers and billows swept over me. But I said, I've been banished from your sight. Yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. The water engulfed me up to the neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth gates shut behind me forever. Then you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. As my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. We see again how God's in control, right? He commands this fish and then Jonah gets probably not the most glamorous entrance ever, um, even among biblical standards. But we go and we see in verse one and two, what can we learn? What are we thinking about? And uh, as I'm gonna read verse one and two again, because the first thing that we notice is that Jonah's alive, right? That's kind of crazy that Jonah's actually alive inside this fish. And he says this, it says that Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. I called to the Lord in my distress and he answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol. You heard my voice. Now it's worth noting that Sheol is the place of the dead. So what Jonah is saying here is that I cried out for help from deep inside the place of the dead. Jonah waited till things got bad to turn to God. I mean, he waited till things got real bad. I mean, he literally is on the brink of death and that's what it took for him to turn to God. He only turned to God when things got bad, just like us. Verse three, you threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, and the current overcame me. All your breakers and your billows swept over me. I love that verse, it's really cool because we see that Jonah is recognizing God's sovereignty in the situation, right? He says, God, you are the one that threw me into the seas. When we read just a chapter earlier that the sailors threw him in, but he's recognizing that God is sovereignly in control. He's been orchestrating all of this in the background and in the foreground to eventually bring Jonah to a place where he would finally turn back to his heavenly father. Verse four, but I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. Think about this situation from Jonah's perspective. I mean, think about how bad this is. I mean, here he's expressing how he's feeling, right? He says that he's been banished from your sight. And so like, I just think about him drowning and, and him sinking and sinking, you know, and I think about the sailors kind of like looking overboard, you know, and eventually like, man, he's, he's gone. I can't see him anymore. And he's looking up and he's like, man, I can't see anything. And then he's swallowed by this fish and he's totally banished from the sight of every soul on the planet. There's no one and nothing that can see him anymore. And he goes even as far to say 
that I've been banished from your sight, God. See, Jonah feels like he's too far gone for God to even reach. And I think that there's probably some of us that have felt that way before ourselves. There might be some of us that feel that way today, that we're too far gone for God to even reach. And what I want us to know is that Jonah's living proof that none of us are too far gone for God to reach. Verse five. It says, the water engulfed me up to the neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth's gates shut behind me forever. I mean, can't you just picture it? I love the imagery of, of this whole scene, right? Like I think about this scene and I think about James Bond in The World Is Not Enough, if you've seen that movie. At the very end, he's fighting the big bad Bond villain uh, in this sinking submarine. And as he's doing it, right, the water level's rising and rising and he's kinda, there's a shot of him, right, doing the whole head tilt, neck up thing to get his last breath of air. And that's the same picture I have with Jonah, right? He's doing everything he can to get that last breath until the waves overcome him. And now he's drowning, he's sinking, he's sinking. And then we read on in verse uh, six and seven. It says, then you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. As my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Again, Jonah waited till things were bad, real bad, until he turned back to God, right? I mean, he, at this point, he has got no other options. He's run as far as he possibly could away from God. He's done everything he can, and now he's in the belly of a big fish. I mean, that is certain death. It's not until this point that he finally realizes that this and uh, that, that his only hope right now and the entire time has been to call out to God. That's what he's needed to do this whole time is to call out to the Lord and he does. And the incredible thing is that when he realizes this and when he does it, God answers right away. He's right there ready to help, waiting for Jonah to call out to him. The chapter finishes like this. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Jonah finally gave up on running. He's realized how vain a pursuit it is to try and outrun the creator of all. So he relents. He says that I'm willing to keep my vow, the vow that I made to you. I'm saying now that, man, before I was taking salvation in my own hands, you told me to go speak to the Ninevites and I said no, but I'm realizing, man, salvation is yours, God, and I relent, I'm, I'm gonna fulfill my vow. It's a really neat moment. But I wanna go back to those three questions that I asked beforehand, those three questions. The first question being, what do we learn about Jonah? I hope it's pretty obvious at this point I think one of the major things we learn about Jonah is that he's a whole lot like us, or we're a whole lot like him. He waits until the last second to turn to God. He waits till things get real bad before he turns back to God. I think Jonah's a great picture of the problem that we are all often plagued with. Second question, um, and probably the most important one, what do we learn about God? I think something that happens is we come to a story like this, like Jonah, and like we think it's about a big fish and it's not. And we think it's about even Jonah, right, who the book is named after, and, and it's not really about Jonah either. 
it's really about God. I mean, the entire Bible is really about God. There's all kinds of other characters, but he is the main character through every book, all 66 of them. So as we're coming to the scripture, we need to look at it and say, man, what are we learning about God? What is God telling us about himself here? And so what do we learn about God? What is he telling us about himself in Jonah 2? I think the first thing is that God is faithful to keep his promises. Something really neat, there's a connection. You may not have made it in verses four and seven. It says this in verse four, but I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. And then he says in seven, as my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple, right? They're both referencing the temple and the temple is where God dwells. And it's in Jonah's darkest moment that he reaches out and he looks out to the place in which God dwells. He's calling out and looking out to God. But what's really cool here is that Jonah's actually referencing 1 Kings chapter eight, verses 38 through 40. And in this kind of piece of scripture, um, King Solomon, who was the king that oversaw the temple being finished, he was David's son, um, it's kind of like the grand opening, right? Grand opening day at the temple. And he's, he's uh, saying a blessing over the temple. So he says this in, in verse uh, 38 through 40. Every prayer or petition that any person or that all your people Israel may have, as they each know their own affliction, as they spread out their hands toward this temple, as they look to God, may you hear in heaven your dwelling place and may you forgive, act, and give to everyone according to all their ways, since you know each heart, for you alone know every human heart, so that they may fear you all the days that they live on the land you gave our ancestors. Jonah's remembering his history. He's remembering the blessing of King Solomon. He's remembering the promise of God, the promise that God will be faithful to forgive us when we acknowledge our sin, when we acknowledge what we've done, how we've messed up, and when we turn back to him and call to him. I really love that. The second thing that we learn about God is that God is gracious and merciful. First, I think with Jonah, like, think about Jonah. Did he really deserve to be saved? I mean, he was one of God's own people, but he was also a prophet. So he's kind of had this like big important job of like communicating to the people what God is saying. And yet we find him turning away from God, running away from God. In some sense, I think if God doesn't save him, he, in some sense, he's getting what he's asking for and what he, he deserves. And so I would say, no, he probably didn't deserve to be saved, but God is so gracious and so merciful that he wanted to save Jonah and that he did save Jonah. And not only that, but think about how God sent Jonah to go to the Ninevites, people that were his enemies, people that were God's enemies, people that were totally morally corrupt. God wants to save them as well. God also, he wants to save and be gracious and merciful to his people, but he also wants to save and be gracious and merciful to his enemies. What an incredible God we have, one that is gracious and merciful to all of us. Those two things that we learn about God lead me to a third thing that we learn about and kind of the takeaway today. It's that God is always ready to help us. He's always ready to help us. I think that you know, there's probably some of us today who might be over here and we're, you know, like things are going pretty well. You know, it's like everything's pretty cool. The sea is calm, so to speak. And we may feel like we don't need God right at the moment. And you may not be thinking that consciously, but I wasn't, but I was. That's, that's kind of how I was truly feeling back in high school. And you may be in this place and, and I just want you to know that God 
wants to help you now in this place. There are some of us as well that maybe are over here and man, maybe we're not doing so well. Maybe it's been a rough day, a rough week, month, a rough year. It's been a rough year for most of us, right? Maybe we're in a place where we feel like we're too far gone for God and I want you to know that he is ready and willing to help you right now. And I think all of us are kind of somewhere in between and, and kind of all kind of going you know, back and forth some days depending on the day and God is ready to help you now. I wanna go back to that third question. What do we learn about ourselves, right? What do we learn about ourselves? In other words, I like to think of this as kind of like, so what? Like, why does this matter today for me in 2021? Right? What are we learning about ourselves now? And I think the best way to learn something about ourselves is by looking at Jonah. I think he's meant to be kind of like a mirror in which we see our own reflection. So we can ask ourselves the question, how can we relate to Jonah? In what ways do we run from God? In what ways does God tell us to live in this way, to go to Nineveh, and we're actually running the other direction and we're saying, nah, God, what I want and what you want doesn't align and I'm gonna do what I want. I think we all do that sometimes and the question is like, man, are are we waiting for something bad to happen before we turn to God? I would encourage you not to. The second thing as far as the so what, what do we learn about ourselves or or way of application um, would come from this is that in this book, in chapter two, every single verse, except for verses one and 10, so we got verses two through nine that are the actual prayer, they all are either references or direct quotations from somewhere else in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament, which I think is pretty remarkable. I mean, most of those references go to the Psalms and they're direct quotations from the Psalms. Well, what does that tell us? Well, that tells us that Jonah had most of, or if not at least a lot of the Hebrew Bible at that point in time memorized, right? If he's able to call back to those things directly and think back on those things, he's got most of those things memorized. Warren Wearsby, He's a Bible commentator and he, he has this commentary and this is probably his only compliment of Jonah. He says this, how wise of Jonah to memorize the word of God because being able to quote the scriptures, especially the book of Psalms, it gave him light in the darkness and hope in his seemingly hopeless situation. Light in the darkness and hope in a seemingly hopeless situation. Um, I brought a little something with me up here today um, that I wanted to kind of share with you. So what I got is I got two buckets. Uh, and this first bucket, it has water in it. This second one doesn't, but I also have a sponge. And so I wanna use this sponge to get some of this water over to this bucket. Pretty simple, right? But if I don't dip it in this water and I just kind of wring it out, you know, nothing's gonna really happen. Not, not get anywhere, obviously. Well, what if I put it in like, you know, halfway, you know, over here, it's like, oh, we got some water coming and can wring it out. So that's pretty good, right? We got some, it's pretty good. When we wring it out, we actually got a little bit of water that time. Well, what if we immerse the sponge in the water? I kind of press it in and it soaks up all the water it can possibly soak up. When we pull it out, it's dripping like crazy, right? It's dripping like crazy. And as I wring this out, I mean, it is all the water. It's like half the bucket of water in there pretty good sponges. I think these sponges kind of help me think about a lot like us and our life. What I want us to think about is that we need to be like these sponges. And when things are good, 
when we're on the mountaintop, when we're not in a valley, when things aren't bad, we need to soak up and be immersed in as much of who God is as possible. We need to know the word of God like Jonah did. We need to have it be totally in our hearts so that way when we're in a valley, we can wring something out of that and we can have hope in a dark place. We can have light in the darkness. We need to be like those sponges. We need to be totally immersed in who God is so that at a point when things are going poorly, when things are bad, when we're in a valley, we can reference that. We can squeeze that out. We can wring that out and we can bank on it. Because I wonder, like, what if Jonah hadn't done that? What if Jonah didn't have a lot of the Hebrew Bible memorized? Maybe he doesn't have the language to call out to God and we never have this story. Maybe he's not saved. If he doesn't have any light in the darkness, any hope in the situation, maybe it looks a whole lot different. But here's the, the, the bottom line today is like, I want us to think about and ask this question of, man, how much better would things be if we just stopped running from God and we just turned to him? If we weren't like Jonah and if, you know, like imagine if Jonah halfway through, you know, he gets on the boat and he's like, man, this is a bad idea. You're in control, God. I need to turn back to you. He saves himself and a whole lot of others a bunch of headache, a bunch of problems. So my encouragement today is this, is, is that, I mean, we've got a faithful, gracious, merciful God who loves his own people and loves his enemies. He is always ready to help us. Would you let him help you today? Let me pray. Lord, we are so grateful that you are a God like that. You are a gracious and merciful God, faithful to keep his promises, that you are sovereign and in control and orchestrating things kind of in the background and the foreground. Lord, we're grateful for that. We're grateful for the picture of Jonah, a picture of what not to do, but also the picture of what to do when it comes to immersing ourselves in the word, immersing ourselves in knowing who you are God, so that when times are hard and when things are bad and everything is awful and all hope seems lost, we can have hope and light knowing who you are, God, what you've done for us and what you've promised to continue to do. We thank you for all these things and thank you for this time this morning. It's in all these things we lift up to your son, Jesus. In his name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next time.